have patience and persistence. And what I mean by that is most people, they want success, but they don't want to put in the effort or sacrifice the time that it takes to get there. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jason Blasnack. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great as well. And I'm looking forward to this because, well, Jason is doing medical office development. He is the CEO of Emergency Pavilions. I love that play on words. And their main focus is creating urgent care centers that also include other medical office developments that are attached to them. And he is based in Greenville, South Carolina. So we're going to be talking about medical office development. With that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely, Joe. I graduated residency because I'm also an emergency medicine physician back in 2006. And that was about the time that all the flip shows were on TV. And I started to get a real interest in real estate investing as my income went up. And so I figured I would try to invest in real estate. I started back in 2007 building new residential construction houses. My initial plan was to just do flip houses, but I talked to one of my acquaintances from back in high school and he convinced me that I needed to do a new residential construction. As you can imagine, that didn't turn out so well. (laughs) Built five houses. I sold one and thank goodness for my medical income that I was able to continue the mortgage payments on those through about 2011, 2012, until the market improved. At that time, I figured I didn't want to be as active as a real estate investor, so I started moving into private loans. So I would have real estate investors in the Greenville area reach out to me, and I'd provide them with funding for their flips and buy and holds. And then in 2014, one of my 
coworkers decided that he wanted to open up an urgent care center. And he felt that with my real estate background, he could operate the urgent care center and then I could operate the real estate aspect of the business. And so we built two medical centers that are anchor tenanted by the urgent care that he runs. And they also have auxiliary medical tenants, which include pharmacy, dental, physical therapy, and then aesthetic medicine as well. We're getting ready to start building on our third facility around the Charlotte, North Carolina area, and that should be completed by the fall of 2018. Wow, that is incredible. I'm going to take a step back. In your bio, it says emergency medicine physician. Does that mean an emergency room doctor? Correct, yes. Are you still actively an emergency room doctor? Yes, I am. So I practice at the urgent care center, which is basically focused on emergency medicine patients. So we advertise ourselves as the ER alternative. So I still practice three to four days a week working clinically in addition to the time that I spend as a real estate developer. (laughs) So how are you an emergency room doctor and also developing the most risky and time-consuming and stressful part of real estate you've chosen And you also have a profession that is highly demanding, both mentally and physically. How do you do it? Very little sleep, Joe. (laughs) No, I think it just comes down to your desires and your goals in life. And so I thoroughly enjoy practicing as an emergency medicine physician, but I also realized that I wanted something more and I wanted income that was basically going to be passive income as I started to grow throughout my career because I just can't see myself working as hard as I am now when I'm 55, 60 years of age. So it kind of melded into a good combination by being able to work as the emergency medicine physician in an office where I own the building and get residual income from that. How did you learn development? (laughs) On the job training. So basically- Are you serious? (laughs) Absolutely. I was blessed with a good general contractor who kind of guided the way for me. But basically, it's all de novo learning. So when we first developed our first center, we were just going to plan to do just the urgent care. And then I spoke with my partner. We figured that if we put tenants in there, it would lessen our risk in case something were to happen with the urgent care that wasn't as successful as what we anticipated. So it just grew from there. After my first building, then you kind of get your feet wet and know exactly what needs to proceed to keep developing these centers. And I won't say that I'm a huge developer. Both of the centers are 14,000 square feet. So we're not developing 100,000 square feet medical centers, but it's just enough risk in there to make sure that the reward is worth it. What are some on-the-job lessons that you learned as a first-time developer? And I'll preface this back. Usually as a physician, you're pretty trusting of people (laughs) Uh, And I've noticed now with real estate investing and development that you can't take most of the subcontractors, general contractors, or any auxiliary personnel at their word. And you have to do the utmost due diligence to make sure that, especially as a physician, you're an easy financial target that they like to take advantage of you. What happened? Initially, our first general contractor that we had on the project was taking funds from our draws and applying them to other construction loans. And then he was advancing the draws initially ahead of his timetable of completion. So when we got to the end of the project, he got to the point where he said, we can't completely finish this project 
as we intended initially because we've run out of funds. So that was a little bit of a life lesson there and, and a costly one at that. How much did it cost you? Thank goodness it was only about $85,000 because it could have been significantly worse from what a, some of the other medical providers that I've spoken with who have ran three to $500,000 over. So we kept it a pretty tight budget, but initially when he started taking draws, he went ahead above and beyond for the first two or three draws. And so we limited it at the very end. Otherwise it could have been that three to 500,000 overage charge. Oh yeah. Relative to others, that's not a lot, but in real life, it also is. It also is. It's, it's a good lesson to learn. That's for sure. And thank goodness it was on a 14,000 square foot project versus a 50,000 square foot project. Absolutely. That was one lesson. Don't take contractors at their word. What's something else that you learned? The best thing that I guess I would have learned is that you can't rely on other people to do tasks for you. So you, you may think that you're paying someone, but if you don't have direct oversight over exactly what they're doing, whether it be the architect, the engineers, and you don't have any input into it, they're going to overcharge you. They're going to overrun you. And basically you're going to end up basically with a project that you're going to be unhappy with. So you got to be actively engaged throughout. Absolutely. And how do you balance? Because I asked you earlier, how do you do it? And you said desires and goals in life. Let's get a little bit more tactical. How do you balance having a full-time job and then also being available to not get railroaded because you're a physician and people will try to do that just for the stereotype in real estate? How do you protect against that and make sure you're involved in every step of the process? I try to separate my clinical days from my administrative days when I'm just focused on real estate. So on the days that I'm working as a physician, I really limit the amount of contact that people can have. And I make it so that we have basically protocols in place that if I'm not there or, or can't directly answer the phone, that my contractor knows what needs to be done. As I said, we learned our lesson on the first case, and now I have a good general contractor who I trust inherently. So I have less of those interruptions at this point, but really separating because initially in, in the first development, when I was working clinically and managing the development, that's when there was less oversight, and that's really when things tactically went wrong. How did you find your first general contractor that didn't work, and how did you find your second that does? The first general contractor we scrambled. So we initially had a general contractor. We had a budget number, had a general contractor tell us we can absolutely meet that number. We can meet that number. He refused to give us the budget. Three weeks before we closed, his numbers were 25% higher than what we could afford on the budget. So we went scrambling for the general contractor the first time. And that was by not being prepared and not doing your due diligence. So you basically fired the first one before it started. And then you went scrambling and had to find the first one. Okay, got it. So how did you end up finding him? Word of mouth. And there was some other dental offices in the bank that we had acquired financing through, had had them manage a bunch of projects for them and were allegedly happy with their work. Wow. Word, you did the right thing. You did word of mouth. And it didn't work. <laughs> Sometimes you can do the right thing and get the wrong results. What would you do differently if you could go back in that point in time? What questions would you ask or what things would you do? I think the minute that I felt that the initial general contractor was kind of beating around the bush and couldn't get us a contract number within three weeks time, which 
would be sufficient to bid for a project of our size and it delayed another week and another week, I think I should have walked away immediately at that time and or started looking for other general contractors by word of mouth instead of delaying this until three weeks before closing for the bank financing and then having to scramble. Mm -hmm. So just so I'm clear, the first GC you did not end up going with, correct? Correct. But the one you actually used is the one that was doing the advancing the loan stuff, right? Correct. Okay. So the first one you did not go with, the second one that you just talked about that you got through word of mouth, he's the one who was advancing the loans and you lost 85K, correct? That's correct. Okay. So then the third one, the one that you're with now, unless there are any more in between, the third, the third one, hopefully they're not <laughs> for your sake. For the third one, how did you find him or her? The second general contractor, the project manager over our project, ended up leaving that company because he was not well-received because he kind of knew what was going on. And so he developed a relationship with another general contractor in the area, and they joined partnership. And basically, we went with their company on this of the second build-out because we had a good relationship with him initially and, and felt that he was truthful and trustworthy on that mm -hmm. first project. So you got someone from the Crooks team and you partner with that person and his new partner. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do, if anything, to qualify that team before you're like, okay, fine, I'll go with you? We did not completely finish off the entire space when we developed the 14,000 square feet. We had 1,800 square feet of unfinished space. So we had that team finish off that 1,800 square feet of space because we figured that would be a low-risk project. And if they overran, then we would go look for another general contractor. Okay. You gave them a test drive. Yes. Now let's take 10 steps back and let's talk business plan and P&L. How do you evaluate if a project will be doable or not from a financial standpoint? We're very risk-averse. And when I say we are, it's my partner and myself are very risk averse when it comes to building out real estate. So we try not to spec anything out. We try to have leases in place or letters of intent before we start building out our project. And the main thing that we do to prevent issues coming up is that we have ourselves as our anchor tenant. So basically from the bank's perspective, it's owner occupied. So we're able to get a better loan rate. Plus, we can kind of control the amount of rent that we end up paying as the anchor tenant as well and adjust if need be based on the operations of the urgent care versus what we bring in an in income in, on the real estate side. Ideally, everyone who's doing development has leases in place or letters in tenant at minimum before they break ground. How did you do that? We knew that we wanted medically related tenants. So initially we reached out to our contacts in the Greenville area, the brokers that we knew to see if they had dentists, physical therapists, pharmacists, occupational therapists, anybody that would be interested in joining in our building, because we think that the synergy of having all medical related practices in one area enhances the product. So we were lucky enough between our brokers. And then we also went to a regional pharmacy recruiter initially, who also recruits for medical specialties. And they were able to give us tenants before 
we ended up breaking ground. A regional pharmacy recruiter, is that someone who recruits a actual pharmacy, the store, or a person, a pharmacist to existing pharmacies? She will do both. And as I said, she also recruits for dentistry Mm -hmm. and physical therapy, but she will place either a pharmacist in a building or else she'll bring in a pharmacist by themselves or a regional or local pharmacy store into the facility. Wow. I didn't even know such position existed and perhaps everyone else listening did. But I didn't, so that's one competitive advantage you would have over someone like me when you're building this stuff. Absolutely. And then I will say with the second building, it was basically word of mouth, and we didn't use any recruiters or any brokers at that time. We developed relationships with auxiliary medical specialties around the area, so they were more than happy when they saw our proof of concept had worked and it drove traffic to come directly on site with us. Mm. How active were you for the second building with the word of mouth since you didn't use brokers? How active were you in having conversations and emailing or phone calls to recruit people? I will say pretty active to the point that we had narrowed down approximately three to four tenants for each space. And I spent a decent amount of time meeting with them face-to-face as well as emailing them. But most of the tenants that had come through for the second building had already seen that we developed a synergistic practice together because of our referrals that we would send to them. So you didn't have to go out there and convince them too much, but just laying down the numbers for them was the biggest concern and the reason that I had to spend so much time with them. Oh, yeah. If you're sending referrals to their company, then it's a no-brainer for them to move right next to you. So it's easier for everyone. And I will have to say, Joe, that in medicine, there's a Stark Law violation where you just refer to just one place. And and that's not the case with us. So we refer to multiple providers. It's just these providers were able to see that it would be more beneficial to them to be on site with us. Your lawyer will be very proud of you right now. (laughs) So based on your experience as a real estate entrepreneur and developer, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, Joe, my best real estate investing advice ever is to have patience and persistence. And what I mean by that is most people, they want success, but they don't want to put in the effort or sacrifice the time that it takes to get there. And I'll give an example. 99% of what I do today is not going to pay immediate dividends today, but six to 12 months down the line, maybe a contact I made or a discussion that I had will end up coming back and either getting a tenant or getting a real estate deal that I would have never been access to if I hadn't pushed through. And then persistence is that you basically need to embrace failure every day. And the faster you fail, the more you learn. So just like with developing the first building, I I had failure during that time and not complete failure, but I learned my lesson and I moved forward. So as long as you can embrace that and move forward and learn from those mistakes that you are going to be successful as a real estate investor. What's something that you learned on the second development deal? So the second development deal that despite the fact that it was easier than the first, you still have to be as diligent managing the project as what you did before. So even though you expect it to move smoother, there's still going to be road bumps. And if you don't oversee that, then your project's going to go awry. You ready for the best ever lightning round? 
I am. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've read? The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen Covey. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you and I haven't talked about yet? We initially bought our first plot of land where the first building sits, And when we closed on the land, we had no means of egress out of the property. So it could have been landlocked and we would have no access to build our medical center initially. What happened? It was under a homeowner's covenants and restrictions, and they were trying to play hardball to get us to pay a higher homeowner fee. And so we kind of called their bluff and it worked out. Will you please elaborate on that, how you called their bluff and it worked out? In the 11th hour, they decided that they weren't, despite verbally granting us egress, they said that they were not going to give us means of egress, which was only out through their road off of a very busy main road. So we ended up closing the property despite that instead of trying to hold back and and wait it out. And then they capitulated and decided that they would, for a, a higher homeowner fee per year, that they would grant us the egress at that time. So you ended up having to pay a higher homeowner fee for access to the road? Correct. Got it. What's the best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal is the second project. So we had built that and we started entertaining offers and we actually had received an offer for a 6.7% cap rate, which is about two and a half times the value of what it costs to build the building. And so we decided to back down at that time and start building a third, but that by far is the best ever deal that I've done. Best ever way you like to give back? The best ever way I like to give back is I donate money to scholarship funds for special needs children. And I also like to spend time mentoring undergraduate students at our clinic who intend to attend medical school in the future. Are you doing all this stuff with your own money or are you bringing in investors? This is all done with our own money. Best ever way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you got going on or check out your website or get in touch with you, whichever direction you want to go with that. Absolutely. They can reach me by cell phone. My cell phone number is 864-991-6156. And our website's currently just under development now, and it's emergencypavilions.com. And then they can also email me at jblaznek at emergencymdsc.com. And what's the phone number again? It's area code 864-991-6156. Well, thank you for being on the show and talking about your medical development experiences, the challenges and the success stories, and ultimately the success story, but the challenges along the way from doing the right thing, getting referrals from others for a general contractor, but it's still not working out because that's just how development goes sometimes. I've heard, I haven't done it, but I've heard, and then still pushing through it 
and finding the niche that is very natural to you and your business partner, since you're already in the industry, and leveraging those connections and certainly having medium and long-term benefits as a result of it. So thank you for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.